Hello and welcome to A New Nation, discussing the ideas that matter. My name is Nick Ward and I am thrilled to be joined today by my wonderful co-host, Mr. Nathan Sparling. Hello, Nick. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm enjoying that the sun has come back out in uh, the good old east of Scotland. The... It was very strange how quickly the snow disappeared. Uh, actually, slightly freaky. Like, the snow disappeared so fast. Overnight. And also, the temperature yeah. went up. So the next day when I the snow... I think those like... two things are linked, to be honest, Nick. <laughs> Science. <laughs> um, <laughs> the next day, I went out for my usual run for the first time in a while. Mm. And it was like nine degrees. It was so hot. Like, I was pulling off layers of clothing for, um, for any of our listeners in spain nine degrees is what we consider hot in scotland <laughs> <laughs> i was i was i was like it's a heat wave where's my sunglasses i better put on my um my sun tan lotion my boyfriend actually makes us put suntan lotion on even when it's not sunny well you do get burnt apparently so apparently so and how are you nathan not too bad at all, not too bad at all. I have been uh, just working away, busy, busy, busy with a new job. And um, yeah, we had we had a lovely Valentine's Day. Did you have a nice Valentine's Day? We didn't really do Valentine's Day. So my, oh, my no, because partners... you cancelled on me. We were meant to go for a Valentine's Day walk and you cancelled on me. Yeah, me, me and Nathan are not in a relationship, just in case people are confused <laughs> uh, by that. <laughs> That's quite weird. But yes, we were. But I was so lazy. I couldn't be bothered to do anything. It was a Sunday. Quite right. Quite... Now, what are we talking about this week? It's been, again, a bumper news, social media announcement week. Um, I, I'm seeing the Duke of Edinburgh's uh, in hospital after feeling unwell. I know, which feels like they're really downplaying. Yeah, like, totally. Like they're they're always oh, just feeling unwell and it's precautionary. But it also seems like a really weird, like like leading headline: ninety-nine year old man feels <laughs> a bit unwell. You're like, hmm, that's an interesting. Do uh, you remember uh, probably around this time last year or some point last year? that there was a whole lot of gossiping that journalists were doing that he died. Yes, I do remember. Yeah, and yeah. It's just so weird that all these journalists and sources were talking about Prince Philip having died. Um, I think and, the main person I heard that from was you. <laughs> well, I heard it from a friend who heard it from a journalist. I'd heard. Um, but there was also like, was there not a bit of a blackout of like some media stuff? And then there was like meant to be an announcement of something that never came and everyone yes. linked it all to that. Um, so funny. Well, let's hope that nothing um, as bad as that um, fake news <laughs> happens. No, we, 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 wish gets... him, we wish him well, and we hope well. he has a swift recovery and feels better soon. Mm-hmm. So, as you say, Nathan, it has been a bumper week with lots of things happening. Um, so, I think what we'll do this week is we're just going to go through some of them. Um, but the the give highlights. Us top, the... Give us the top lines now, and then let's. The top top lines are um, the COVID rates of death for people with learning disabilities, which have been published recently, which are shocking. Uh, The Audit Scotland has uh, questioned the Scottish government's response to the COVID COVID epidemic. The SQA and Education Scotland have been found wanting by a motion in Parliament calling for significant reform. And uh, Wings Over Scotland have reared their ugly, horrible, I don't want to say anymore because to get sued, heads again. (laughs) Uh, casting shadow on uh, journalists and others and really just being genuinely disgusting but we'll come to that mm-hmm. anything you want to add no we've hit it all um i'm ready for these conversations so we're going to start off with the covid death rate among right so basically there, which which is something that i have to say until today haven't really seen that that has been a, an issue but i guess as with a lot of these things, um, when people are maybe not able to be as vocal about things, then these stories don't come up until a report says so. Well, I've actually got very strong opinions on that, as you may imagine. Mm. <laughs> but what basically the, the, the news is that if you um, have got a learning disability, you are seven times more likely to die of covid than if you don't and you're also um, a number of times more likely to get covid if you don't now i think 
there's a couple of things that this exposes which is really important i think nathan you hit on one very key there the first is that you know we have a community whose voices are not listened to and are not recognized and actually um who within our whole system and society um are continually basically forgotten about because mm. people feel uncomfortable about it people don't know what it is um you know i i as people know i work for a charity um that supports autistic people and about one third of autistic people also have a learning disability so it's an issue that is very very close to to some of our things and i think for me it really shows a couple of things that the first is that the marginal these marginalized groups are even more significantly marginalized during a crisis you know charities and other organizations have been shouting including my own have been shouting about you know we're not considering the impact on these vulnerable groups and what it means and whenever anyone talks about care homes they're talking about old people care homes they're not talking about care homes for people mm. home with social care where people talk about social care they think about old age and that's not the, the you know that's not all of social care i think the the other problem is that exactly like you say that that our shouting about it hasn't cut through and what that means is that um you know society and the government has been able to ignore us um, and i suppose putting on my work heart my work hat for a second i would say that is why scotland needs to have a commissioner for autistic people and people with a learning disability the first in the world to have a central loud powerful voice that people have to listen to because Otherwise, and it does sound like I'm being overdramatic, but I'm not. Otherwise, people die. And that's what we're talking about. And people are forgotten about and they die. And in a civilized society, that shouldn't be something that we allow. Yep. I think you're absolutely right. It's it's really it's really shocking stuff. And I think the more that we get into this and we start looking at the effect, not probably not just on people with learning disability, who by the way, all, before COVID already had terrible life outcomes. So they were already significantly more likely to die than the general population, um, to die at a much earlier age, to suffer from um, significantly more comorbidities as they call them, which is like, I would prefer to say co-occurring conditions, but you know, a lot of those conditions do lead to death, you know, and actually, already the life outcomes were really difficult and really challenging for a civilized society and what this epidemic has exposed is how vulnerable these groups are and how already us as a society wasn't giving enough of a damn mm. and to change that we need to yeah change. it felt and and i don't know if this is because um at the start of the pandemic uh, the black lives matter movement you know exploded and people started to pay attention because of that so therefore you heard a lot about the impact of covid on people um from black communities in, in the uk that was you know one of the top things that phe in england were um tasked with doing a report on why um black people were disproportionately affected but you don't see that there, there's you know there's not a learning disability lives matter global movement that's on the news every day um but i guess with this commissioner that um is a, i think a great idea um that would start to change some of that and make sure that their voices were heard yeah I, I, obviously i agree i think as well it's it's really interesting because sometimes people say well oh if you're going to have a commissioner for this then what about a commissioner for that and what about a commissioner for this and what well, about a commissioner right. for that well totally i'm like well let's have a if it, but what it actually shows is the need for a commissioner shows that the current systems aren't working yep. it actually shows that we need to do something radical to shift it and that their structural problems mean that we don't have faith that the structures will be able to deliver that outcome. We need something radical, something new, and something bold. What and I like know, is, and, and and I think you probably have seen the, these arguments were made when the Scotland created the Children and Young People's Commissioner. You know, do we need a commissioner for that? I like the structure in that he is accountable to the Scottish Parliament, not yep. the Scottish government. Um, he has a set budget. The, he knows how many staff he's allowed to hire to help him with his work. He delivers a strategy to the parliament and the committee. I think it's the, the parliamentary corporate body or some one of the bodies that he reports to. Mm. Um, and I think that's, you know, a really strong indication that it's not about government. It actually allows you, you as a commissioner to confront the government and their policy. And, you know, there's two aspects about that. Like, so obviously 
me and my organization are lobbying heavy for this at the moment. And when I met with the minister, I won't say which minister, when I went with the minister, what, the, what I had to say to that minister was, you know, we need some bravery here because, yes, you are creating something that will hold you to account. And you need to be comfortable with that because we're not saying that you're always going to get everything right. But what we are saying is that you need to make sure that there are people there who can tell you what is right. And the, the second part of that is it exposes a wider problem that people have been talking quite a lot about Scotland at the moment, which is about actually potentially the lack of accountability throughout the system, particularly when you have a particularly strong one party and how closely knit the political class and the journalists and the third sector and all these different bits are together and these these bits kind of act as accountability levers but they're also a bit in each other's pockets and you know the chief um the, the chief lawyer in scotland the, the lord advocate is appointed by the first minister yeah. so you know we don't have an independent judiciary in fact and th there's something really interesting about that and what that means i think is that in a, in a small country you need to create autonomous independent institutions that exactly like you say report into the democratic body do not report into government so that they can be a critical friend of government no um so uh, all power to them more of it and and it also i think as well just just what we're talking about this issue um I think this is the next step in Scotland's human rights journey. Like mm. Scotland has come really far with human rights, further than any other UK nations, and it's it's really progressive. But the next step, the real test of human rights, is governments giving away power and authority to hold them to account. And when, for example, the Scottish Human Rights Commission was created, actually the powers of the Scottish Human Rights Commission were quite watered down. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't allowed to take casework. It didn't have legal standing. So it couldn't, for example, take something to the courts. Mm -hmm. And what we're seeing here is that the next step is to create some of these organizations. And I think also part of that has to be about the legal reform of the Scots legal system as well, to empower individuals and to empower organizations to use that system to hold power to account. Sorry, Does, I went on a speech. I no, no, I, th right. I, th I, th I think it, it opens up lots of questions. You know, I've all, I've been a proponent of having a more independent funding mechanism for Scot the Scottish government funding the third sector, because things like that, you know, the the last big um, the, so there's two charities that I remember taking um, a government to court, Shelter that took Glasgow City Council to court. Um, and the National AIDS Trust took NHS England to court when they refused to provide PrEP. Um, and those were really big. When you talk to the, you know, the director or the chief executive, you know how big a decision that was for them to make and how scared that they were to make that decision because of the potential impact on, on their charities. And really that, you know, charities and organisations and people should be able to hold the the government to account in in a better, easier way. Um, and if commissioners are a role of that, I'm thinking, you know, is is this the almost the second chamber? Is it commissioners for you know appointed commissioners for four years um, that the parliament appoint a range of commissioners for people that um, that are needed? Is is that the kind of second chamber that Scotland could have? Um, that would be exciting. Yeah, I, I love a bit of constitutional reform. You know, it was one, it was one of these things where I was watching First Minister's questions today, as people know, I'm quite a fan, and um, and I was looking at the Parliament, and I was like, whether Scotland becomes independent or not, the radical thing about the Scottish Parliament in 1999 was that it was a new institution that could do things differently and could change, with with eyes pointed down at Westminster that really struggled to change, and actually. You know, in Westminster's defence, with some of the Brexit stuff, you saw some real innovation there. So you saw, you know, the order paper going to the hands of, of, of backbenchers and all that kind of stuff. And, and when you look at the Scottish Parliament, I'm like, th this is not complete. Whether it's independence or whether it's through different federal system, this is a system that should be continuing to evolve, that should be continuing to develop. And it shouldn't be stuck in aspect. And I really hope that something like what you were just proposing is a way to to move that forward. But again, that takes real leadership from politicians because you are effectively giving power over to others. And we all know that not just politicians in their defence, but everyone finds that hard. Yeah. Every, everyone finds giving power away um, hard and 
that's where we need to get to because that's the mark of a true that's real devolution yeah. real devolution is that you give power as much power away as you can in order to like to the most appropriate level and what that means is we're going to get it wrong sometime and you know the, the results of the feely uh, social care review which i won't talk about because we'll talk about next week but um you know part of that is saying actually we devolved some things to one level and actually that needs to come back up a level again because the coordination required and that's actually great like actually that's a really positive thing to say oh we went we we, we we devolved too far we pull it back up great because actually our instinct should be to devolve as much as we can and we pull back when it doesn't work um because that's how you get to the right levels i think um we, we, we we've we've wandered way off into constitutions <laughs> we often do but i suppose the, the the one thing i'd say to people on this is that the the experience of people with a learning disability and autistic people and other people with other conditions has been really really hard during this virus and these death statistics should shock us all they really should and something needs to be done absolutely so I agree with you, Nick. there, didn't we? Dead serious. Normally, we're all like, ha, 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 ha. And then suddenly my voice went really low. And I well, went, you can't be, you can't have mirth when you're talking about um, a problematic death rate among um, a very marginalised group. Um, but perhaps we'll move on to something slightly lighter. I don't know if it's that lighter. I don't, yeah, I don't, <laughs> think, I, don't, I don't think our podcast is, is very light at all this week. But. So, Audit Scotland. Uh, mm. So Audit Scotland today issued a report, and in that report they said that in the last number of years, I don't remember how many, there had been three uh, exercises, um, so sort of, you know, like disaster planning exercises around if there was a pandemic or an epidemic and how the government would respond. Yeah, three preparedness exercises since 2011. Three preparedness exercises. And altogether they had created over 52 different recommendations uh, about what should be done and not many of them were done and so we had a scene today in the scottish parliament where ruth davidson um stood up you know i was looking at her and i was like it's so weird that you're not going to be in the parliament after me ruth because you're quite a stalwart ruth davidson stood up and and i think this was a lovely parliamentary moment whether you agree with what she was saying or not she said here's the first report slammed it down why have these not been done here's the second report here's the third report why have none of these been done it was very dramatic it was very dramatic and nicola sturgeon was clearly raging about it um it's interesting though she kind of like she kind of gets annoyed at ruth davidson because she's like ruth davidson you're not listening to what i'm saying mm. and then with jackie bailey i kind of feel she gets upset it, it's a different she's got, she takes a different tone with jackie bailey i wonder if it's that she doesn't take jackie bailey seriously i almost thought it was the opposite oh I no I... she was taking jackie bailey more seriously than ruth davidson because mm. it was attacks from the left not from the right perhaps maybe maybe not so what do you what do you think about this nathan is it scandalous that the scottish government didn't take those recommendations and didn't do stuff um i i do and i think actually the the government's um official response and i don't know if this came before or after first minister's questions but um john swinney's been quoted saying that it was a fair picture um in recognizing strengths in the immediate response from the nhs but that um, there was issues that the government needed to reflect on. Um, I think that, you know, so Swinney's called it a fair picture. Douglas Ross has called it damning. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I do think that, um, you know, I, I do worry that we just didn't take um, these things seriously because we didn't think there was going to be a pandemic like this. See, I, see, I, I look at it differently. I look at it as a failure of systems within the government. So, you know, again, putting back on an old work hat, um, constant reports are written all the mm. time in the third sector, like not in the third, by the government about things that affect the third sector. Like if there's one thing the Scottish government is great at, it's writing a report. And the amount of those reports that actually get actioned are very, very few. So, you know, often we get long lists of recommendations, um, but no one is tracking them through. So no one is making sure they actually happen. And what happens is naturally they get dropped, they get forgotten about, new priorities come along. Um, 
And I, I think there's almost a mecha- I, I actually don't, in some respects, I don't blame the politicians for this. No. I, I actually blame the officials and, and the, the processes that, that work within government. Yeah, I think this, you know, this is a problem in councils, it's a problem in the Scottish government, it's a problem in, in the UK government where, um, yeah, there doesn't seem to be much that happened. And I guess, you know, you can reflect as as leaders in organisations where things, you know, you see a report and or some action that needs done and you ask people to do it. And if you don't hear back, you assume it's happened. Mm. Um, and so there is a bit of a check and, you know, um, a check and balance of, of how those things are checked. Um, but I, I know from my point of view, if I asked someone to do something and they didn't say no, then you would just expect that it was done. But but but, but maybe this is partly about, I, I would agree with that to an extent. And I think as well, though, it's a bit, it's almost a challenge. It's almost a challenge to our democratic system, right? Where you have people who go into parliament and become ministers who haven't necessarily being at the forefront of organizations or led things so actually they don't necessarily know the processes of what you can do if suddenly you feel like you don't have traction or if you suddenly feel like actually i don't know where things are what reporting mechanisms can i set up how can i instruct um civil servants to give me information in different ways how can we create a, a tracking board that i can um access really easily mm. and and i almost think there should be training for, for oh, absolutely <laughs> for you know, and and how to manage people, and this this isn't just about government. You know, this is project goes to, manage and program yeah, manage. Absolutely, I don't think there's enough talked about about MP or MSP development, like their own personal development. Sometimes they're mocked if training comes up in their expenses list. You wouldn't mock someone at work for doing um CPD. doing development. Yeah, you'd exactly. actually demand it. You'd insist uh-huh. upon it. Exactly. So when so when people have bought books, um, you know, training books um for how to do spe- how speech writing or public speaking or management or hr they've been mocked by the press mm. for those things um being you know being talked about there's not enough um mandatory training you know i know from my experience in the house of commons they only um they only brought in sort of equalities training quite recently after lots of complaints none of it's mandatory people can you know pick or choose what they go to um there's there's a really good system in the house of commons at the start when you're first elected where you're bud you're paired up with a senior house official um so you've got a buddy for the first sort of year that you can check in with and ask questions and they'll you know they're your point person i think that's a really good um good initiative i'm not sure there's anything similar in the scottish parliament um but if, should, got, if you get elected as an MSP or an MP, you, like you might come from a background of being a nurse or yeah. a teacher, where you haven't necessarily had to line manage anyone, and then suddenly you're like, you need to set up an office, you need to have a number of staff on different conditions, you need to find yourself like external premises. What equipment are you going to have? How much are you going to pay people? You know, have you ever even led an HR process before? Like, it's well, this is the thing. Daunting. What what can be a bit frustrating is that both the House of Commons and the Scottish Parliament have HR departments, but mm. when it comes to employing individual staff, then the MSP or the MP is the manager, is the is the responsible person for HR as well. There's right. not an independent HR department for MPs or MSP staff, and actually I think that's where a lot of the failing comes down to. Because if you've got a a bullying boss that you didn't realise when you took the job, your HR complaint route is to him. Yeah, it doesn't work. Um, it doesn't work. People are not, and, and you know that's why in the when the House of Commons did the um, report into bullying and harassment among staff, the, the results were shocking. Um, and you do almost need that independent. This isn't an attack on MPs or MSPs because I actually think you know unless that system is there, what? How would anyone know how to do HR? You know, I don't think people should be bullying folk, but. Sometimes it's as simple as knowing HR policies and procedures that could help you avoid situations that bring bring a lot of, a lot of yeah. work. And and also it's the, the the other thing as well, which is like maybe you've hired someone that's not very good and you need you need support to try and you know move that person on. Like like it's not like it it leaves everyone in a bad situation it leaves it leaves the elected member in a bad situation and their staff members in it but going back to our original topic of conversation 
I suppose it's for me it's you know definitely bad that they haven't done that but for me it's more about a feeling of the system and a, and a culture in Scotland of write a report make recommendations and forget that yep. we need to like address I agree I can't believe I'm agreeing with you so much we need something contentious Something so <laughs> uh, well, well, the next thing we've got to talk about is after James McInerney, I've said his name wrong. McInerney. McInerney, great, you must have been practising, uh, appeared on our podcast calling for the SQA and Education Scotland to be disbanded. Uh, the Scottish Parliament obviously listened to what he said. And um, today passed a motion where the opposition parties united um, to overvote. Overvote? What's the word? Well, they voted. So what's the word, like, overvote, like, overrule? No, well, they voted, and the opposition parties overvoted the SNP. Over- what's that? What's that phrase? So they outvoted them. Outvoted! <laughs> oh, it's been a long day at work, folks. Okay, outvoted. <laughs> what are you talking about? Overvoted. I, I knew there was a word, I just couldn't get there. So the opposition the, I, outvoted uh, the SNP on the motion about the SQA and Education Scotland. Yes, to say that the SQA and Education Scotland should be, I think, radically reformed, that there were significant failings, had not met the expectations of the people of Scotland, um, which is obviously quite strong, really. Um, the, the thing is, obviously, the vote is not binding, um, so the government doesn't really need to do anything about it. Um, what do you think about it? Do you think that, do you think that this means... Like, it's one of these things, again, where you're like, where does the buck stop and who is responsible? So, so okay, what, what we know is that, really, these motions mean nothing. Well, um, they're indicative of opinion. They, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. So so they're indicative of Parliament's opinion, but they mean there, there is no outcome. There's no direct outcome if it goes against what the government thinks. Yeah. So if a motion is voted on in Parliament and it approves of the government's uh, plan, then the government take that as an endorsement of Parliament for doing their work. Mm. When their emotions are amended against the government, um, the, the Scottish government love to just ignore them. I think in only one case recently related to education as well was around the education bill. Um, and a motion was brought to Parliament, it was voted on, and in the end, John Swinney U-turned and and and, and withdrew the bill before it had been debated. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, the the people, a lot of people outside the bubble don't really understand that these motions don't have to be acted on. It's well, no, like, because people think that Parliament votes on something, that becomes the law, right? Yeah. And that's got to happen. Like, to be honest, I almost kind of feel that's what should happen. Like, yeah. And it's the same in Westminster, you know, where the UK government often cop out of opposition day votes. um, Because the public would think that if Parliament voted on something, then it would happen. Or it was at least, you know, indicative of a change in policy. Um, the government in in the UK think that if they don't turn up, then they can just ignore ignore it yeah but i suppose it kind of it kind of gets to the thing of like like how how much would it mess up our democratic system if any vote in parliament was binding like um, all votes yeah it's hard to think it's hard to know if it would mess it up that much because in reality even in a minority government there aren't that many um, no that that's there what aren't I mean. that many votes against against the the government. So you know the government is still in the main get to do um, what they wanted and were voted for. Um, but there would be some situations like this, and and we know the government have said that they've got education wrong before. Um, they've U turned. They've you know they've done um, changes in policy. They also said so, us on education. Judge us on education. So if the majority of parliament is saying that you know is agreeing with James McEnany almost and and calling on the SQA to be abolished um, or or significantly changed then um then yeah that feels to me like something that should happen and you know 
it only happened today, so perhaps there's, there, there might be action from the Scottish government because they will not want to fuck it up. No, totally. I, I, but, I, and again, it, like what we were just like. So wait, before I go on to that though, just just so do you think we were just talking about the reform of the Scottish Parliament and what the next steps are? Actually, would it would it be radical? I, I I would love to get a constitutionalist on here and have a little chat with them. Like, would it be a radical thing to have? a system where parliament really was sovereign mm. like yeah i mean it, in, so in scotland it's it's meant to be the people that are sovereign above parliament mm. um but how do you make the people sovereign if the people that the people have elected um if they then vote in a way and it's it's not listened to um, yeah, I think the majority the, of MPs have voted. Yeah. The MPs represent the sovereign will yeah. of MSPs. The sovereign especially, will, especially in a proportional representation system. Exactly. This isn't first past the post. You know, we have a parliament that that almost, you know, to the to the person reflects how the country voted, um, and that's really powerful because this isn't about the UK parliament being sovereign or whatever because that's a first past the post system and it's not representative but in scotland that's very different and and yeah i i agree so let's pick that up because we've also got the conversation about whether there should be a second chamber of commissioners um so, so, so there's lots of on? lots of constitutional uh, questions that we we could discuss um if you've got any thoughts of any constitutional experts do tweet us um but we'll have a think as well and get someone on in a couple of weeks Brill, thank you and um Okay, so we move on. On last point on the education stuff is, you know, SQA and Education Scotland are both arm length bodies, right? So they are both kind of independent, kind of not of government. Ultimately, they report into the minister and they're accountable to the minister, but they should be fully independent. Now, I think the, the there's two ways of looking at it. Either one, they've been too independent and become crap, or two. They've not been independent enough and actually they've just been doing the bidding of ministers. Like my my internal knowledge thinks it's probably more the latter. That actually they've not been independent enough. Do you agree with that, Nathan? Because you're doing a bit of a slightly funny face. No, I was just reading um, reading a tweet um from Jamie Green, MSP, who's the Conservative spokesperson for education, talking just about these the 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 defeat in Parliament of the SNP, um, and the the main point of that defeat was that the government are sitting on a report oh, that yes. they've, del- they've said they're delaying till after the election. Um, that also, you know, maybe this is a bit about independent the independence of quangos or bodies is that it feels to me like it shouldn't be in the gift of ministers to publish a report that the sqa or education scotland have written that should be education scotland or sqa that should be compelled almost to publish the report in a timely fashion and, and they should be visible accountable organizations right so we should know who's the chief exec of education scotland i don't know who's the actually i do know but like like who's the who's the who's the chief exec of like the sqa and like actually like how are they accountable and i i i suppose what what we've come to on this episode is that actually there are still some significant democratic flaws within our system that we really need to look at absolutely i'm sure it won't be the last time we talk about education never um and talking of democratic flaws uh there is there is a person who lives in bath who uh really wants to influence our democracy a lot um do you want to talk to us a bit about that nathan yeah i think that you know people have talked about um this person he who shan't be named um for a long time but it feels to me like there's almost been a change recently um in the past years um people that i respect in politics used to respect his political analysis on some key things um he wrote the we blue book for independence that got circulated among thousands of people and was seen by some as a, a reason why they changed their mind to vote for independence so when you start to think about that you're you you think of someone that maybe holds a bit of respect and then in the last 
year. It, it seems to just have, probably more than a year, but it seems to have just disappeared to the point that yesterday he wrote a blog on his website that um, said quite sectarian statements about a journalist, Neil Mackay. Mm. Um, and then a follow-up then um, challenged Neil for talking about in public his daughter's sexual assault um, as a way of, um, you know, trying to open up the conversation about sexual assault and, and um, abuse um, from, from women and girls. And that was thrown in Neil's face as some sort of accusation that he did that just after Alex Hammond was um, charged. Like, these two things are not linked, but because Neil, I think, has been one of the most reasonable journalists when talking about, one, the trans rights issue, and two, you know, the the the... the what's seen as the rift in the SNP. Neil feels to me like he's been saying it as it is. This is not an issue that is dripping down into public. This is a Twitter spat with a noisy minority of people against what the SNP are, are doing. Neil's been saying that, and that obviously infuriates people that have this loud voice um, with a blog. Um, and But what he said yesterday was just just disgusting he he has deleted it now um but he's claimed he wasn't asked to delete it or that he it was because he was um getting lots of messages from trolls um which are basically in his mind when he uses the word troll it means that they're probably very respectable people that know what they're (laughs) talking about um like isn't isn't the issue that like I, I think there's a couple of issues. I think the f- the first is that what he said was completely beyond the pale, and it's not the first time that what he's said and done is beyond the pale. It's it's, it's disgusting, it's inflammatory, and it's offensive, and it shows an utter lack of both judgment and also nuance and understanding. It also kind of shows a lack of character, to be frank. That yeah. that you know, I would not want. Like, I'm a very sociable guy. I would have a drink with most people in the pub. I would not have a drink with you in the pub. Oh mate. no. Because you're not a nice person. And I think that's a a really significant issue. But I think the more significant issue of even that is that then we have MPs, sitting MPs and members Mm. of the the Scottish National Party retweeting him. And in some ways associating themselves with him and a branch of his politics and ideology, which is repugnant. And you know, I, I saw someone tweet, the, 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 I don't know if it was today or yesterday, but who said, I do not understand how being a member of the SNP and supporting or associating with this man and his blog are compatible. No, they're not. So then there are two members of parliament of the SNP that should be chucked out. I um I completely agree with you, and I actually thought that that what the content of that blog was, um because it was about a journalist and not about an SNP member, I was expecting some swift action today actually because, you know, there's I, th- I was thinking this last night when I seen it there's there's a debate w- about whether internal party stuff is just internal party stuff. Mm. But when then it reaches, you know, someone essentially condoning um, the the awful attacks on a journalist is then then shared. So when an MP or an MSP um, shares that, you know, that's that's not what the party whip is there to to do. Um, no. And it's some, again, it's some slow action because if it was me that was in charge and I saw um, either of these MPs sharing or liking these tweets, you know, um, it's it's a shame that these people cannot be sacked from their front bench positions because they don't have any. But actually, I don't even think that goes far enough. It, it is that, you know, the whip should be removed straight away. Um, I agree. If, I think someone, I think it might have been Neil that said this. If it was a Tory that had said or done this or supported someone that said or done this, the SNP would be up in arms. Mm. And whilst there have been some um, that have come out in support of Neil uh, quite publicly, the party 
has. Mm. The but party, why is that? Why is the party being so conservative on this? So slow? Like, I, I almost feel like that their behavior is exacerbating mm-hmm. the situation. I, I kind of feel like if they just came out and said, Do you know what? That's not acceptable. Actually, you and you, you have both been saying things which have been almost arguing that you shouldn't vote for the SNP. Oh, You've been doing this kind of stuff. You're not a member of the party anymore. Look, like, that would end it. For me, I actually think that would end it. When Colleen Rooney can find out who's leaking her stories, right, um, from Instagram, and you're telling me that a political party, a multi-million pound political party, can't instantly spot who's leaking the stories and who's supporting them to leak the stories, like, come on, you're sitting yeah. on your hands. Do some fucking work. But it's also interesting as well, like because it's the toxification. Like if you look at if you look at his blog, which I would not recommend anyone to do because it's no, just full don't, of hate and don't give him the views. Views. Don't give but, him the views because he, when when he gets views, he thinks it's the best thing. Um, and he was commenting about a million views in a day once because he'd tweeted he'd done a blog on the leaks from the NEC. So of course, you know, people are going to look at what the leaks say. Um, in, in reality, it didn't mean anything, but people were driven to his blog. Then he can scream about celebrating, you know, how great his his um, blog is. Nonsense. But, but also, like, when, when you go to it, it's vile, it's full of hatred, it's horrible. Don't give him the views. But at the, at the same time, what you see on those pages is this toxic wing. And I'll commentary. be honest, it's toxic commentary, but it's mixed up in, like full feminism like conspiracy theories alex salmon lovins anti-trans rhetoric and and almost a an attack on woke is almost what it feels like like oh we are we're like the real people we're not like with these progressives it's really reactionary it's really regressive and and it actually reminds me a lot of the kind of shite sorry for the strong language that you used to see well you still do with the brexit campaign yeah it's populist and it's nasty and it's playing with fire and you know what there's no place for it from modern scotland which is probably why he's based in bath because it's not acceptable and that's not coming from someone who you know people know that i'm in the labor party i'm a labor party candidate and stuff that that's just coming from like a citizen of this country that i don't want that kind of bio and rhetoric to be part of our political discourse because it's horrible yeah i agree yeah i've just been around and i've just been saying i agree with nick which is very (laughs) disconcerting that needs to stop that needs to stop Um, oh no so i accuse you of like taking the government line it's because you're not taking the government line any (laughs) point this episode i I know i did read the government line out um that's when he said it was fair picture but i wasn't regurgitating that as if it was my uh thoughts um, which i think is what you usually have a go at me for um we um we're, we're close to finishing up but i guess the final thing i wanted to just shoehorn in was um holidays and we talked a bit about holidays last week um we've had a bit more of a steer from nicola sturgeon about what she wants people to to book or not book not booking not booking easter holidays she's told people um but summer staycations may be on the cards. But only staycations. Absolutely. I was having a very... I was hearing about Moindart. Moindart? No, no idea. It's, uh, it's, it's not actually an island, but it's like an island in the west coast of Scotland. And it's apparently very beautiful, very remote. Um, Someone someone that I work with was telling me all about it today. And I'm, I, I was a bit like... I'd really like to go, actually. It sounds beautiful. Road trip to Moindart. There's lots of places, I think, that I'd like to go in Scotland. The problem is um, it's Very more expensive. Ex- it's more expensive to go and stay in a hotel in Scotland than it is to go to Europe, which I think is ridiculous. And especially now, especially now, hotels this summer should be jumping at the chance of um, creating business and supporting local um, Which, do you know what my beef is actually so i i often go up to lochte and um we've been going there with my family for forever i love it it's a great place but one of the things that always really gets me about lochte is the the other last year we went up and we didn't stay in self-catering accommodation we went to a hotel and we decided to go out for dinner 
and it was consistently terrible like not not just in like the food like the food wasn't great but the prices that were mm. being charged for that food were outrageous like when genuinely outrageous when you go to europe right one of my favorite places berlin everyone knows that one of my favorite restaurants in berlin is called la cocotte it's a french restaurant run by a lovely gay couple who i consider la very la cocotte um it means the pot in which things are cooked in okay um it's like the casserole pot basically oh lovely um and they philippe and mickey i consider very good friends now because i went to the restaurant on a recommendation and they treat you like royalty and then you get to know them and i've stayed at their house since and the fabulous restaurant and i go there and i have a slap up three course meal with prosecco and chartreuse shots at the end you know what I, I would consider an absolute slap up meal and I'm walking away paying 50 euros. And you even think about, you know, going to some restaurants in Scotland where the main course, if you have a steak, is like 25, 30 pounds. Yeah, totally. Uh, but the, the thing is, uh, I think it's consistently good food, a uh, reasonable price. So we're not, we're not saying exceptional, good food. Mm. So, but also... Like it can just become so ridiculous, and I know, I know that like restaurants and things are like, you know, well, we have to charge that to 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 cover it. But you get into this kind of thing where you're like, yeah, but if you were a bit cheaper, maybe more people would come. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because that really put us off, to be honest. It really did. Like paying fifteen quid for the crappy burger. No, I think that's it's right, and it does you know that's fine for tourist places places that want are only attracting tourists but especially now the tourists are the locals and um we we expect you know european prices because that's what we used to spend when we got, went on holiday but i also don't think we should be ripping off the tourists <laughs> like oh yeah absolutely yeah it's it's an interesting one and um and i think maybe we've been a bit controversial here nathan because we're, it kind of sounds like we're attacking the scottish tourism industry which we know has had a very hard time but well we are so no, no, I, 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 you know it's i think that's um it's not about a, it's i guess i'm saying you know let's let's if if staycations are what's on the market then we need to drive consumer demand and at the moment we're not driving consumer demand certainly in scotland because it feels too expensive and well well, i'm very worried about the future economic uh, we're getting way off there but i i I really do think that you know i'm a socialist i'm a left winger but if i was doing the next budget i would be slashing of taxes and i would be putting more money in people's pockets and when things get ready to open people can really go big and large because we really need to think about how we we stimulate that economy again to go forward and the debt that we've accrued we need to think of it more like the debt that we accrued from the second world war right this is long term structural debt that will take us 50 years to pay off and we just be comfortable with that and we know that economies which are growing don't actually really need to worry about debt so i just think that but the worst thing that would happen now is if suddenly we were like, we're going to raise taxes and do this. Mm-hmm. Particularly in Scotland, where actually, you know, taxation isn't that competitive and we need to be thinking about it a little bit more. Yeah. Just call me Maggie Thatcher. Don't call me Maggie Thatcher. <laughs> <laughs> you have always been a bit right wing in my mind, Nick. Oh my God. <laughs> if anyone's right wing, it's you. I'm the How right. dare you? <laughs> okay. Um, so that's that's it for the news i think this this week um that's it. Like, have you got any recommendations nathan i was thinking if i had any recommendations and i tell you what um i think we've talked about the six by nico food boxes before um we had a bit of a bad experience with them recently but Ooh. that was made up and i actually think their customer service is really good tell so us about it in like a bullet point so Ordered the six by Nico Valentine's meal because couldn't go out for Valentine's dinner this this year. Not with um, me, FYI. Not, not with you, with my partner. Um, <laughs> we were meant to get the box on Saturday so that, uh, you know, I thought, get it the day before so that we know we've got it and we can eat when we want to eat on Sunday. Sunday traditionally eat a bit earlier anyway. Um, because of the snow, DPD um, had delay, big delays. So they delayed the box to Sunday. So I didn't get the box on the day that 
it was booked for. Right. And then it didn't arrive until half past seven at night on the oh, Sunday. That's really bad. That's also stressful. Well, I, I think, you know, DPD, I think, t- texted me at like three o'clock in the afternoon and said, it's, this is the hour range. It was like quarter to seven to quarter to eight where was the hour range. And when I got that, I was like, right, unless it was to turn up on the minute of the start, even then, I think that's a bit late for dinner. So we ended up getting a takeaway and having it on the Monday evening. Okay. Um, but, you know, I, I was honest with my review. The food was great. The cooking instructions were a bit mm, iffy. Um, cook until piping hot is not necessarily um, an instruction. <laughs> no, 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 that would stress me out. It, it doesn't help. But yeah, when there's three things that say cook until piping hot, like what, when do you put one in then to make sure it's already at the same time? Um but they they didn't refund me, but they gave me a £60 voucher, which means I've, I've ordered another kit for March. Um, and they've promised that they want to make it up to me. And um, I thought their customer service was great. So, and to be honest, you're a, you're a pretty consistent uh, you're a pretty consistent customer of theirs. So, mm-hmm. yeah, well done you. What are you recommending, Nick? Don't really know. Um, nothing. Nothing. Going for runs watching some crap tv i've had a very i haven't really watched much tv this week it's been very hard um oh actually one thing i could recommend is uh you can now collect avios points with nectar cards which excites me oh i've started investing as well yes but i'm not talking to you about that because i'm in a huff with you oh you're in a huff because i didn't use your free um i got i got my free um my free chair today why are you rubbing it in mate what, I don't. That but I, I don't know what it is. It, like, yeah, that's what's part of the fun. What's it called? Tell everyone what's it called. Uh, so I'm on free share. Um, my share many many episodes ago. Yeah, my shares have gone down by two pound forty six. Welcome to the stock market. Today has been a very bad day. My shares have also went down a lot today. Which, yeah, like one of the one of the shares that I have, which I got from a tip off on Twitter that was like, this one is likely to go up by quite considerable time over the next seven days. So Nathan, I'm going to give you some share advice now, right? <laughs> so do not make investment decisions based upon tips on Twitter. Well, that I mean, people lose all their money. I uh, right. Um, sh- let's let's be honest to the listeners that I'm investing little money, like ten pounds a week is what I'm investing. Um, I wish I had one thousand pounds to invest. Um, so I'm up to having about fifty pounds worth of savings in my investment, but it's down two pound forty six. Um, but um, you know, it's, these are the things. All of the people that I've invested in have had an upward trajectory over like, the like, last year. To be honest, year. I I invested about a thousand pounds a couple mm. of months ago, and I've now made over a hundred pounds profit, wow. almost two hundred pounds profit, in fact. So that's a significant yeah. return on investment. However. You have to really be pretty chill in that if you're checking it every day, it becomes quite stressful. You have to just understand that the market goes up and down. Um, and you have to as well, I think, develop a strategy. So Nathan shared with me some of the ones that he's invested in, which are not necessarily some of the ones that I would invest in. So um, I tried to give Look, him some advice. I wanted to have shares in Netflix, right? I wanted to be... The, why, why are you doing Netflix when Netflix has reached saturation point? So yeah. They've reached saturation point and they're putting up their prices everywhere. Like, it's probably like a steady one, but it's not going to be a growth stock, which is fine. Because are you going to be a growth investor, a dividend investor? Like, what's your plan? Um, You need to have a plan. I, I, yeah, well, it's... Never- we need to talk about this stuff. Yeah, Maybe not, not on the podcast. No one wants to hear us. Maybe you do want to hear us. Maybe they do want to hear about shares. If you want to hear about investing, then maybe we could get an expert at some point. Um, you've you what? Well, you're not an expert in investing. Don't be so ridiculous. <laughs> you've got a All thousand right, pounds worth for today. Um, thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please give us um a like or five stars or whatever it is that you do we really appreciate it we you can find us at anu nation prod on twitter but also anu nation on facebook as well and we're working on a website because we're that trendy and cool um so thank you so much and have a great rest of your week cheerio